Hey guys, episode number 72 coming up with Sam Abel. Really good interview, really great lady. She's the city manager for uh, Gulf Breeze and has some really good lessons about, you know, you city managers and county administrators out there, you do a great job, right? But sometimes not communicating the good job can lead to negative consequences. You're going to love this one. Stay with us. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. Each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government right here in the Sunshine State. So we are almost to Mobile, Alabama. We are in Gulf Breeze today with Sam Abel. Well, we, before we, we were preparing for this, we about good storytelling. I'm sorry, we have to start with the story about your name, because it is really a fantastic story. I have to be real careful with what I tell you before we go on air, Steve. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> now that I know you're going to share those stories, I'm glad you picked that one, yeah. <laughs> so Gulf Breeze, for those who are not, is Escambia County. It's, oh, it's no. actually in Santa Rosa County. We're sandwiched between Escambia County. So okay. we are a peninsula sandwiched between Pensacola, which is in Escambia to the north, and then Pensacola Beach on the south. So you have to come through Gulf Breeze if you're going to downtown Pensacola or Pensacola Beach. We went you to stop and shop in our stores and we catch all that revenue. So you're like embedded sort of in Escambia, but you're part of Santa Rosa County? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Was this the one that WD Childers had moved back in the 80s? Or, or, yeah, I thought there was a, it was a, like a fight over something uh, way back in the 80s. I'm going to be honest. People fight over who's in Gulf Breeze and who's not all the time. So, well, yeah. We're going yeah. to get into that That's because right. your guys' service area extends far outside and, 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 and many, many, many of those services. And that's stuff that you, you really want to share counties, with folks. That's right. But uh, tell us about your name. Yes, yes. So my, main, my name is obviously Samantha Abel, but my maiden name is Kane. And There's a pause. Yes. For yeah. those are, who may not be biblical scholars. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Cain and Abel. Yes, yeah, so I attended And where a, did you meet your husband? Yeah, I attended a private school in South Georgia. My husband was there playing ball, and we were taking a required Old Testament class. He wanted to know who the blonde was debating with the professor uh, every morning and keeping him from his nap, and he still gives me a hard time um, because he got a better grade than I did. So, so he uh, was napping. He gets a better grade. He did, but the professor liked us because years later, he married us. And so we're Cain and Abel. We married, we married by that professor in that Old Testament class. You, you so. met in Old Testament class yeah. and your names were Cain and Abel. And I, I, that's really hilarious. Yes. Yes. So easy, <laughs> easy to remember. We still go by that email that's, as well. So oh, that's Cain, pretty. Yeah. Cain and Abel. That's yeah. pretty funny. So uh, you've been in Gulf Breeze about five years. Um, before, tell me a little bit about you, you. You got really animated when we were talking about your history. You worked in North Little Rock. Uh, why were you so animated about that? Yes. So I actually growing up, uh, I was in D.C. and then my family moved to Atlanta, Georgia, the same time everybody else was moving, you know, to Atlanta in the late '80s and early '90s. And so coming from two uh, very large cities, I never felt at home. I never felt that I belonged because there was so much growth all the time. And so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to make a difference. And I did not feel that that was possible in very large urban 
environment. Um, my sister actually is a precinct commander uh, in Metro Atlanta. And, um, and so she was able to feel that she could make a difference. But for myself, I felt like I needed to find an area that was smaller until I felt like maybe my life might matter in some way. And so I started my career as a city planner in North Little Rock, and it really made all the difference for me. In what ways? Well, so in that area, there was a 1991 documentary you might remember called Gang Banging in Little Rock. And it was an HBO documentary. It was award-winning, and um, and I had seen it. And so when I arrived, that's what I expected to see. It Because, uh, for your listeners, Little Rock is where most of the interstates and the nation all converge. And so you had a real issue with gangs at that time between the Bloods and the Crips, uh, a lot of dangerous elements. And so when I arrived, that was what I expected. Little Rock was still struggling uh, with a lot of that crime. North Little Rock actually Now, was, North Little Rock is a separate area, right is. over the bridge? It is. Right? It's, a, it's a twin city right over the Arkansas River. Okay. Yes. And so when we arrived, it, uh, it was largely empty. And what had happened is there had been uh, two shootings, two homicides in one year, and there were seniors who couldn't afford to leave or just refused and said, I'm going to make a difference. I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm going to stand. Can I go I'm back a second? I, my experience in Little Rock, I spent a lot of time there. Is, and you mentioned the interstates. And what's interesting about Little Rock, I guess because it's a poor state, they don't really have well-developed state roads, so people use the interstate for everyday commuting. And so that road between Memphis and Little Rock, I'm un- it's understood the most dangerous section of the interstate in the entire United States. That's right. Because it's so overcrowded. You have trucks going through commerce, and you have people going to work and stuff. Is it st- was it still that was that, that way when you were there? It is, which is which is interesting. So my sister coming from Atlanta, you know, she's kind of seen everything, and she was well, shocked. While we're on the concept of bad traffic. Bad but traffic, yeah. yeah. And, it, and I'll, I'll always forget just how shocked she was. She said, wow, you feel like you're on a game of Frogger just trying to get across the road because of those interstates for that yeah. same reason. So yeah. definitely an issue. So you arrive in North Little Rock. I arrive in North Little Rock, and, uh, and so what we really saw was not much of anything happening in North Little Rock. It was very quiet. And so in inquiring, what had happened is you had a group of seniors who said enough is enough. And they had created a historic district over bungalows and shotgun homes and were working with the mayor uh, at that time, Mayor Patrick Henry Hayes, in order to qualify these homes uh, for redevelopment tax credits. And so what they would do is they would take back a block of homes and they would go block by block rather than do a a scattered approach. And they would purchase those homes, they would rehab them, and then they would sell them back to first-time home buyers. And so, so you wouldn't be accused of gentrification, displacing people. That's right. You're bringing it back to, for, you know, entry level homes. That's right. And in the time that I was there, uh, they tripled property values. We were recognized nationally wow. for the work that was done. Having that be the start of my career. That's an interesting approach. Instead of doing it like, okay, these types of homes, you said geographically, because you hear this term now, sense of place. So once you re- renovate a, an entire block, it's got a different feel. And that's maybe right. that would, the idea was that would inspire people to say, oh, we want to be next. That, that's exactly what happened. The, the uh, revitalization happened so quickly because when you focus block by block, then other people can understand what it is that you're doing. It encourages more investment. And so you start seeing those government dollars come back uh, state and federally. And so now that area is on the loop of a trolley. 
that goes from the Little Rock area uh, through North Little Rock. Um, the Main Street has been totally revitalized, and it's a beautiful place that you have visitors come, I mean, from states yeah. around to visit downtown North Little Rock. My sister-in-law actually came to visit, looked around, and said, I'm not leaving. And so she stayed. She ended up staying because it was so beautiful. That's right. And uh, her father-in-law, who was one of those original groups of of people, individuals who said, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. He's an architect who helped create that historic district. Actually, he was just recognized by the governor of the state of Arkansas recently. So what a great start for somebody who's looking to make a difference. What are are some lessons that you took away from that that you could share with other city managers? Well, at that time, you know, I was in my early 20s. And so I thought I knew everything because I had a great, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I graduated magna cum laude from, you know, Georgia State. And, um, you know, I've got all the answers. And what I learned is that knowing the right things really doesn't matter at all. It's all about threading the needle. It's about having the right people um, build those relationships. And I learned from Rosemary Hamill, who was the executive director of our Jenna Community Development Corporation. That was the group that they created. Mm -hmm. And she was so phenomenal at building those relationships. But she sent me into so many situations that I was not experiencing experienced or prepared for. Um, But she had been there. She had done that. She knew the right people to bring around the table. And that's really what city management is all about. That's what I've been doing ever since. Managing managing personalities, because, you know, you're taught in planning school uh, about what's the best, you know, where do you put the park? Where do you put the thing? Where do you put the roads? How do you do all this stuff? That's great. If you had a blank slate and no people, you can draw a beautiful, perfect city. I guess places like Celebration and Baldwin Park, they were able to do that, right? Because they bought large swaths of land and then they cleaned it out. But most of the times you walk into a situation, there's already infrastructure, there's already people there. And the challenge is moving that in the right direction with the cooperation and the support of the community. And that's that's where planner, you know, the old joke about engineers, you know, they two engineers are walking down the block. One sees a dead bird on the sidewalk. He says, oh, a dead bird. And the other one looks up in the air and says, where? So, you know, that's the old engineers. And so city planner engineers, they can do it on paper, but it takes a city manager with recognition and people to say, we got to get the public support. And, and I guess what you're saying, that's the difference. you got to get people engaged. That's right. That that blank slate never interested me, right? Because so I was a fixer oh, that needed a problem. I have focused my entire career in areas of disinvestment. That's what gets me excited. Um, I need that problem to solve. I would find a beautiful flower vase and I would break it just to put it back together again. You know, I that's how my brain, that's where my idle thoughts wander is I'm a problem solver. I'm a uniter. I'm a facilitator. That's what I always loved about Doing that through the people power. I mean, through through communication, engagement. And I'm very upfront about that with my employees. I tell them I receive my gratification in working through people. So I want you to deliver that win. Because when I see you deliver that win and work through a controversial issue and do that with confidence, that's when I can go home at night and, and feel so Great. Um, and, you know, it that not just through your employees, but also through your volunteers and your community, having them, you know, express a concern with you and giving them the tools and the resources so that they are defining that win and they solve that is extremely gratifying for me. Yeah, that that that, that is the heart of a city manager, too. Also, you know, and then somebody else gets the credit. Yes. But you get to see you get to see the change that you, you implement. I always say the, the the test of success is how many people take credit for an effort. 
And when everybody takes credit for it, then you know that's a win. You know, it's ironic is a lot of times when you see city managers become the story, become the person, become the front, that's usually a sign that they're going to be kicked out pretty soon, right? <laughs> that's so. That's also <clears throat> so true. Boy, you used to talk to a lot of city managers, haven't yeah. you? I always Episode say, I'm, number 70-something, right. yeah. I always say, I'm the canary in the landmine. So if you see me talking about a new initiative in the paper, it's probably because our mayor and council aren't sure really how they feel about it yet. It's so exactly right. right. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to be out front. No, and every time you right, do, you don't. And, I, and actually I worked with a county administrator who became a cult of personality in his own right, pushed for a penny tax in a conservative county, overwhelmingly supported. They, you know, a lot of good communications. Um, and then I found out two months after the initiative, he was let go. Mm. Uh, and then he ran for the county commission and lost, but he became large and a great guy, but I think the council felt threatened because they're all the ego. You know, right. we love them, but they're the yeah. ones who have to, you know, what's the old joke? Well, they, they, they kiss hands and shake babies, you know. Which is, a, that's so important, right? And that, that is a, a job and a role all its own. And it works really well when, uh, when you're both doing your job separately. And so I'm the person with the cue cards in the back. I'm the one making sure that, you know, everybody knows their job in order to deliver that win to the mayor and council, but it is the mayor and council who define the wins because they're voted yeah. by their constituents. They're the one with the scissor in the hand at the ribbon cutting, that, not that's, you. Well, that's exactly right because they know what that win is. I'll give you a, a perfect example. And so I've been city manager in Gulf Breeze from a six years. I've, uh, before that, I was you know deputy city manager. And the time that I've been there, we have had a, a huge state project. Our Pensacola Bay Bridge is being replaced. And so we have a waterfront park that has not been open in the time I've been with the city for six years. Wow. So that waterfront park is usually an area where we have a lot of uh, boat traffic. All of those boaters are being driven into the inside of our city to use what was more of a neighborhood boat ramp. Well, when that park opens back up, where are we trying to drive most people? Do we want them to use that other park or the park inside our city? As a city manager, I don't know what the right answer is. I look to our mayor and council to determine the levels of service, to determine the usership of our public facilities. So they tell me that, and then I go about making sure that the signs are properly located, that we're advertising those parks in the right way. Limiting so, parking. If you want to divert people here, you have limited parking, so they only put eight trailers in or whatever. Get them over, get them back over there. That, that's right. And that's, I'll tell you, that's it, interesting because we just interviewed the mayor, uh, the former city manager, deputy city manager, count. I'm sorry, deputy town manager of Palm Beach, and they had a disruption, Mar-a-Lago for four years or longer, and you know, literally when the president was there, the roads were closed. And you're on a barrier island. Uh, you talk about a disruption. And I, for boaters, that's got to also be, hey, this is where we put in for years, and now we can't do it for gosh, six years. Oh, as a peninsula there? city? Your, your boaters yeah. matter. That, yeah, yes. absolutely, absolutely. Well, you talked about the effectiveness of uh, you know cha transforming a neighborhood as a, as a young woman, as a young professional, and the importance of communication. So let me segue now to... So Gulf Breeze is, I think, relatively interesting, and I think this is really good stuff for our city managers, those that have a, a municipal authority. Um, you have the incorporated Gulf Breeze, and then you provide a large array of services to the unincorporated. Tell a little bit about the problem you guys had when you took over with the, um, uh, the surcharge and the utility rates 
inside the city, outside the city? Because that's that's really an interesting story. Yes. So South Santa Rosa County is the fourth fastest growing county in the state of Florida. Uh, so for those uh, of your listeners who are trying to place where Gulf Breeze is close to uh, Pensacola and also, you know, Navarre and Santa Rosa is between Escambia and Okaloosa County. So on that, that coast, uh, of course, 20 years ago, we looked quite different. And so you had little small private utilities and then most of the area in between was undeveloped. That has grown very fast. So the city of Gulf Breeze, uh, most people who are familiar with the area would be very surprised to hear, the city of Gulf Breeze is only four square miles, just four. But we're thought of as being much larger than that. And that's because we provide utilities over a two-county area on Pensacola Beach and also uh, South Santa Rosa County, so all the way to Navarre. You're the utility provider for people yes. who are bigger than you. That's right. And that's because the counties approached us and said, look, these private utilities, they're expensive. You know, the debt service is expensive. Would you consider doing this? And that's very common. Throughout the state of Florida, you have municipalities that provide utilities outside their jurisdiction, and they're going to charge a surcharge, and that is going to... Am I right, though? You know, your core... Um, if you're if you're a city utility, let's say, and you may not know the answers, eighty percent of your customers are within your city limits. You have a couple of outlier areas, you know, unincorporated, a neighborhood gets built, and you provide them utilities. In your case, it's an inversion. Am I right? That's true, but we're uh, we're not unique. So the city of Milton, which is our county seat, is the north end of the the county. They provide utilities outside their city. That's where the available land is, and so that's where the industrial parks are growing. So their growth, just like ours, is outside their incorporated okay. limits as well. So I actually think it's probably going to be more common as you're seeing such growth come to the state of Florida. Those rural areas that have typically been undeveloped is going to be just the natural place that you're going to see those industrial parks and those master plan communities pop up. So I think, you know, this may have happened to us maybe 20 years prior to other areas in the state of Florida, but it is certainly going to be more and more common. So I think the story we're going to get into is definitely, you know, relevant to all communities that provide utilities outside their city limits. So normally when you're outside, the law requires that you have to charge the same rate per unit rate for you for electricity but for those outside your area it's it's common practice to add on a utility a, a surcharge and your surcharge was very, very low. So tell a little bit about that and then what, what the blow up was. Right. So again, remember, inside our city, we are entirely built out. So the issue inside our city is we have redevelopment. We have growth pressures from developers who are purchasing old homes and then they develop the large homes, right, that are almost going lot line to lot line. And you're having to replace older infrastructure. Outside the city, it's entirely different. You're trying to keep pace with immense growth, and you're trying to put the new utilities in as soon as possible. So the issue that we had is inside our city, we are communicating very well with our constituents. Outside the city, over that 20-year period, we purchased a 36-hole golf course for the purchase for the purpose of spray fields. You had 18 HOAs around the golf course. Uh, they had wow, questions. 18 on one 18 golf course? How many golf course was it? Well, it was 36 holes. So it was okay. really two, uh, two golf courses. We purchased it after the Great Recession in 2012. One of the, uh, the West golf course had been ravaged from Hurricane Ivan. 
and had not, you know, uh, really had much upkeep since then. The east golf course, likewise, the irrigation had been scavenged and was really poor condition. There were no other offers. So if the city had not purchased it, undoubtedly it would have gone bankrupt. It probably would have been flipped for highest and best use, and you would have had high-density residential, which certainly the HOAs in that area— They would have lost—I worked on a project where somebody was losing—private uh, golf course was losing a lot of money, wanted to close a third. People lost their minds. Like, this was some sort of government entitlement right. that we were killing them. Could you imagine closing down— Right. This golf course and turning and people would have bought it for, you know, high rises or the high density right. apartments. Oh, my gosh. I would have right. lost their minds. But, but again, keep in mind, these are not our city voters. And right. the county seat is up in the north part of the county. As we know, in the state of Florida, counties are large. So the county seat is up north. This is in the south. And there's a lot of growth, but there isn't a lot of representation, a lot of communication as to what is happening and why. And so I, I want to back up just for a moment and share with our listeners that the city of Gulf Breeze, our, our city council, had created an advisory board over our water and sewer enterprise uh, about 20 years prior to me showing up on scene. And that advisory board is comprised of a majority of non-city residents. So they come together and they provide recommendations to our council. I find that nuts, by the way. But it's, go a, ahead. it's amazing. I, I get so passionate about it. It had nothing to do with me. But this is just, as, I mean, absolutely fantastic representation. Uh, at that time, the city charged a surcharge of 3% on our non-city residents. And in 2016, which was the year I came on board as deputy city manager, that was increased to 6% surcharge. couple things about that. Inside the city, our residents were paying a 10% municipal utility service tax that was not being paid by our non-city customers. So 10% inside the city, 6% They're outside. They're actually paying overall less. Yes. Normally, you, you listen, you're not in the city as other things, property tax, blah, 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 blah. You charge more. You guys were charging less. And the, this, you were telling me earlier, the standard surcharge is about 20 to 25%. That is standard. And so we actually engaged a consultant and we did a survey statewide as to what that surcharge was. And at that time- You're charging one-fourth- That's right. The traditional surcharge and the outside the city- and, and, and the reward for this was? Well, you got to think, during the global recession, all communities were hurting, right? So yeah. what did they do? They all maximized their surcharge to 25%. All of them did. We owned, you know, we were providing utilities back during the global recession. We purchased the golf course in 2012. At that time, you would think most cities would automatically start charging 25% when you purchase it. We did not. I would have, just for the record, yeah. Yeah, so you would think this would all be great, right? Well, this yeah, is, so under the no good deed goes right. unpunished category, what happened? So th this is a, a story about the need to better communicate. What happened is that we had uh, particularly one large HOA who appealed to the state legislature and asked for an audit into the city of their grievance, which was interesting, we actually had to do a public records request in order to get petitions and read them to know what their grievance was. So this group of citizens petitioned. Those petitions went to the Joint Legislative Auditing Committee to determine whether there should be an audit into the city of Gulf Breeze. These were not Gulf Breeze residents. These petitioners were outside the city limits. They were customers. And when JLAC determined that there would be an audit of the city, the city was not notified. We found out about actually the evening prior, and uh, that was Representative Frank White, Frank White called and gave me a courtesy call to let me know, and I, we had no idea. 
And, um, and so we had to do a public records request to get the petitions, and the petitions were an environmental question. The question was, are the spray fields being overwatered? And then secondly, they asked, is it fair so that we're- So you save a golf course, right. you charge them less. That's right. Uh, you charge them less as tradition, you charge them less than the people who live inside, and because they thought you were overwatering, because well, I understand the spray field concept, that used to be leading ed technology, right, in wastewater right. treatment. Oh, your, your, our golf course is too watery. You could have not bought that golf course, just found some vacant land and put the water on that. And then that golf course would have went bankrupt and they would have had, yeah, went under no good deed. Like I said, no good deed goes unpunished. Right. And so your point, and, and I think everybody listening to this would know the, the, the horror of, of the audit. Even, you did everything right, but just pulling receipts, going through procedures, going through policies, the disruption, especially how big is Gulf Breeze population? So, so the population of Gulf Breeze, we have about 2,800 rooftops. That's okay. about 6,000 souls. Again, but we serve an area of 33 square miles. Yeah. Yeah, much, much larger area. The irony of this is I was city manager in a coastal community in Mississippi. While I was there, I was appointed to an investigative board over a utility authority and we asked the state to uh, do an operations audit of a utility. And actually, if you look into the history of that area, there were people who went to jail in uh, Harrison County Utility Authority. Uh, and this is, had to do with uh, misappropriation of Hurricane Katrina monies. And so I went from working for one coastal community where we were asking the state for an operations audit uh, to working for another that, you know, I, I'm looking at. And actually, my uh, my thesis at Penn State was when uh, special districts become ghost governments. So I really felt like I knew a lot about the subject. And now I'm on the other end of it for 22 months. And it did not, actually the, the original request was about, uh, of course, the spray fields, but just for our listeners to know, when you uh, experience an operations audit, the scope of the audit is determined uh, during the initial kicking off period. So the scope of the audit went back to the 80s and encompassed all operations oh of the city gosh. of Gulf Breeze. I mean, how disruptive. And I, I'm brand new as you know, the city manager there, and it was 22 months. And so we had a lot of turnover by burnout employees, uh, went through two finance directors. I've been through four assistant city managers just in two years. I'm not complaining because there's no crying in baseball. No crying. And plus, I said I was a problem solver. I said I like problems to fix. You broke right? the vase. I bro yes, well, but, I broke but, the vase. So, so, <laughs> so, sure. so here, let's get, the big, to get to the big lesson. So you, you arrive on the scene, so there's nothing you could have done this, this, you're handed this audit, which was disruptive for almost two years, hurt staff, hurt morale, hurt turnover, uh, and almost for no reason. I mean, really, the origin of it is you're overwatering the golf course. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my personal comments to myself on that one, which is, what could you have done? What would you have, if you're now a consultant, you're looking forward, and this is burgeoning again, what could they have done to prevent that? And you said this is a communications well, problem, not an operations here's problem. Here's what we have done since. So when we started providing the utilities outside our city limits for water and sewer, we acquired the private utility that was doing that prior. And it was called the South Santa Rosa Utility. And so we kept that name on all of our trucks. We kept that enterprise separate than our city enterprise. So inside the city, it's Gulf Breeze Water and Sewer outside the city is South Santa Rosa Utility. As a result of this, our mayor and council uh, took those two enterprises for inside and outside the city and consolidated them into one and created the Gulf Breeze Regional Water Board. 
It's still the same citizen-led advisory board that we have had for over 20 years, but we need to know, or we need our, our non-city customers to know that they are all still part of Gulf Breeze. We are one community. The jurisdictional limits may differ, but we are all one community. We're all served by the same utilities. And so by using that in Gulf Breeze regional water, hopefully there are bridges of trust that we are continuing to work on so that they know that they have that advisory board that they can come and ask questions, attend those public meetings and get their answers but met. The, so this community takes, led by one HOA, an extreme action to go to the legislature to request an audit. Could, could that have been headed off with when they bought the golf course, meet with those homeowners associations, let them see the benefit of that? You know, it's funny because when we worked on a project to close, it was a 27-hole uh, golf course. The owner was losing a lot of money and thought he could bully his way through the process and then got completely shot. There was just only one homeowner association. When we came in, we said, well, close that one, right? But explain to people what the alternative is, because they never did that. People envisioned that this was, they moved in on a golf course. They didn't realize when, you know, you buy in, you're on the golf course. Hey, you're in a golf course community. Like, hey, you think that's permanent. You don't realize there's a business run, a private business running that. If I have Joe's sandwich shop and Joe's not making any money, Joe can close down the sandwich shop. Just likewise, you can close down the golf course. But once people started visualizing the whole thing closing, they completely flipped and said, oh, oh, well, wait a second. Could some of that been done here to prevent that to say, look, guys, if we don't take over this golf course, it's going to close and there's going to be high density housing there. You're not going to you one day you're backing up to a beautiful fairway. The next day you're backing up to a construction zone. You're not going to like that. But what could they have done for communications to head this off at the pass? Well, I have to say that the mayor and council, I, and I, I feel like I can say these things because I'm a bird on the wire. I wasn't here at this time, but I really have been so proud of the fact that the city has not looked to maximize profit sure. on its non-city customers. And so I, I, I don't want to criticize, but I think we can all honestly say that there were rosy glasses when we first purchased the golf course because, you know, 36 holes purchased right after the global recession for $2.8 million. And South Santa Rosa County, beautiful emerald green waters, that feels like a steal. And so actually at the time, the city administration did meet with those HOAs and told them we're going to revitalize the golf course. Our ultimate goal is to revitalize and open back up the West golf course. And those promises were made and believe it or not, municipalities, most of them don't do well at managing golf courses. And so there was more money having to be invested into revitalizing golf play than what the city had expected. Keep in mind, the reinvestment was being paid for by ratepayers. The golf course is an asset of the utility fund. So we could have put millions into it, but everybody's water rates would have gone up, right. right? So there's a balance there. We don't want to raise your rates. So we have to do that responsible capital planning every year. So what we realized is it's going to take more years than what we realized because the golf course is in worse condition than what we first uh, thought. Ultimately, what happened on the West Golf Course is we sold a portion of it for a school because with all the growth, you certainly knew it at a school. Schools help everybody's property values. 
We didn't sell it for best use. We got an appraisal on the property and didn't sell it for highest and best use, which would have been high density so residential. So clearly, there's a the communications school. problem because you're doing the right thing. You're keeping rates low. You're 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 saving their golf course, revitalizing their golf course. Did you ever find out what was the genesis? Because what it, I turned it was the one broken promises, Steve. It was the broken promises from the. Now keep in mind, most of the people who <laughs> lived in that so they did the opposite. They promised, you know, beauty over yes. here. And when they fell short, people were mad as opposed to my idea, which was show them how bad it could be and what you're doing to make it better. They kind of took the opposite approach. Yes. So what I would say is two things. One, manage those expectations. Mm -hmm. Even if you're so excited and you feel pretty confident because you don't know what external factors could happen tomorrow. Um, But secondly, it's consistent messaging consistent. So it's not just those original town hall meetings, but in an area where you're having fast growth, which is going to be most areas of the the state of Florida, make sure that you do have a utility public information officer, which we have now, so that you're constantly pushing out the messaging for those new residents. If they join an old HOA and there's old grievances, they can understand what's the reasonable approach. You know, you, it's constant you, you messaging. Consistent messaging, you know, it's one of the four C's, clear, concise, consistent, contrasting. Um, but Sam, uh, I, I get it all the time with my clients uh, and customers there say, oh, well, we already said that. I go, no, that's right. Well, say it again. You know, say it again. Say it again. We do an exercise um, about every six years, Toyota Save changes their slogan. And I put up the, you know, the logo. What is this? Everybody goes, oh, it's Toyota. What's their slogan? Nobody could tell me. I go, oh, what a feeling. Yeah, that was in the 80s. Um, you do Walmart. Right? What's their thing? It used to be everyday low prices. They did it for 28 years and then they changed it. I still can't remember it right now. Home Depot, et cetera, et cetera. What is Nike's? Just do it. Everybody knows just do it, right? Because they've never changed it. They've been persistent. They've been mm. consistent in their messaging because we receive about 3,000 advertising messages a day and we can retain about 12. So if you're not saying the same thing over and over and over again, reminding people, and there's different ways to say the same thing, so sh- but you got to so remind important. them again and again and again of the good things you're doing for them. And I think city managers in particular, that's a, that's a big struggle for us. I think we really do need that help because we work at the will and pleasure of a governing board. And so as they're giving us you know, their consensus, we're moving on to that next thing. And so particularly for a city of our size, we don't have a public information office. I am the city's public information officer. So I have to push those communications down to the utility level and make sure that there's people that they're doing it. it. Before the end of every day, they're communicating with their users. You know, that's funny because I wonder if this is a, a, a psychological problem with city managers. Because we talked earlier about... The, 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 the heart of a city manager, you know, we've done 70 plus interviews and I'm starting to learn more. I've been with the League of Cities and FCCMA for over a dozen years. And so I know a little bit about this, right? And I'm learning more about what makes a good city manager. And one of those theses is the desire to do good work, but not the desire to get credit for it. And with what you're saying is you guys probably should have done before you got there a better job of taking credit for the good. But that's not you want to just you do good and you go ta-da, and you expect the good to carry on itself. That's right. Right. And and you know how, listen, people are busy. They got all kinds of things. This is not describing any malice or lack of intelligence. You got 8000 things on your own plate. Suddenly the golf course looks a little better. You're like, oh, great. But if somebody told you it's going to be palm tree line, they're going to be beautiful, this, and it doesn't meet that expectation, that's what you'll remember. And so maybe it's the fact that city managers don't, aren't in the credit-taking business 
that sometimes we fall short, right, in, in communicating the good things our city is doing. And that, that's interesting that you don't have a PIL. Well, again, but we're a small city, right? And so I, I, what you're you're speaking to directly, you know, you to are my, the PIO, uh, right? To Chief m- bottle washer. <laughs> so you're speaking. I think most city managers, you know, feel that same way. I think that um, doing that PR is so outside of our nature. We don't like to be self-aggrandizing. We don't like to say, you know, look at me. We've certainly learned that the importance of social media and communicating what your mayor and council's priorities are. But when you're addressing utilities outside you know, the city, you don't necessarily, you don't think to that because it's not our first nature. We're, we are operationally focused. I'll give you a perfect example. When I go to a meal with my mayor, you know, or council, um, I'm there for the main event. I'm there because if we get down to brass tacks, they, they want me there to answer any operational issues. So everything before and after, honestly, in my head, I'm somewhere else. I'm thinking of what I need to do back at the office while they're talking golf and kids. And so I'm there to answer those questions. And afterwards, I'm waiting in the restaurant lobby. I'm impatient. I'm ready to get out of there. Building those relationships, the diplomacy um, on an elected level, that's for the mayor and council to do. And so it is hard for people who are nuts and bolts and and efficiency minded to tell that story and and be consistent with reminding everyone, we told you what we were going to do, we did it, here's why we did it. That That's a real struggle, I think, for city managers. No, and, and, and you're right, because, you know, you want, the, you want the council to get the credit, you want them to be out front, uh, and you don't want to, so you're not inherently in the business of bragging about the good stuff you've done, but sometimes you have to be strategic about that to head off at the pass a 22-month highly disruptive audit, which came up perfectly clean, which is wonderful. But yeah, it, when they start digging around, and uh, clearly, and this is what's interesting to me, they didn't just, you would think if the complaint was centered upon your overwatering, it, it sounded like somebody really had a burr in their saddle because it sounds like the request to do the audit was punitive. Well, let me just, when we say it came up clean, so there were no, nothing, nothing criminal, illegal, uh, you know, or let's say grievously inappropriate in an audit, but anybody who's ever, uh, ever undergone an audit will tell you their job is to find things. So there was certainly a list of recommendations of things that you can do better. It's a long report because they're going to come in with a team. They're going to set up for weeks. They're going to do their interviews. They're going to check out. The everybody. fact of the matter, they have to justify why they came. I mean, it's everything from, you know, you need to have, you know, log books to, I mean, just, just recommendations galore. And a lot of them, I mean, we took it very, very serious because we're A++ people, right? So when they come back in 18 months, you want that perfect scorecard. And so we did look to make, you know, significant uh, improvements moving forward, recognizing that it's hard to keep pace with growth. So uh, we created a new administrative services department. We staffed it with three people to make sure that uh, we're being as efficient, you know, as we can be. Um, but ultimately, it would have been really nice. I'll just tell you as a city manager, if I could have done those things without without having that audit. So the message to other, you know, city managers is those enterprises outside your city, uh, although the Florida statute certainly 
uh, allows and probably expects that 25% surcharge. Make sure you're communicating with your larger community as to how that money is being spent and how you're looking out for their best interest. Boy, I'm, 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 I'm such the opposite person as you are. I would have figured out what that cost of that administrative services department is and say, well, you guys wanted the audit. You got the audit. Now we're going to go from 6% to 11% to pay for that uh, administrative services department. Of course, I'd be moved on pretty quickly, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I can't be productive if I'm bitter. And and my nature is to be a very yeah. optimistic person. But I'll tell too. you, because I'm so, I'm an efficient person, to be held back and having to look over your shoulder for why things were done the way there were 20 you know, years prior, literally in the 80s and 90s, it was definitely the most frustrating thing of my career. So that's how, you know, improving communication can save you a lot of time and a lot of uh, pain moving forward. No, and it particularly rubs me. I mean, on my business, I own two businesses. In my business, I won't even charge gas to the company because I just don't want to be bothered with the paperwork. So I can't imagine keeping logbooks and doing all this kind of stuff. Can I just do the work? I just want to get the job done. I want to do good things here. But accountability, when you're in public service, accountability is vital. It's vital, right? Um, so when we close out, we always like to talk uh, one, one thing that you could tell us about Gulf Breeze that we may not know or you think is really cool about Gulf Breeze, maybe make people want to come and visit? What a great question. Gulf Breeze is absolutely beautiful. It's nationally recognized for its livability. And so when you come to Gulf Breeze, you can expect um, just miles and miles of trails, uh, pathways. We are a golf cart uh, friendly community, but it's really for all ages. And so what I really love is when you see your seniors who are playing pickleball with young people Uh, you will see, I mean, recreation no matter what time of day it is. And so if it's from five in the morning until well after sunset, we're a community that recreates outdoors. We are really beautiful and we we value our quality of life and our family. So our residents, it's not a matter of if you volunteer. It's just a natural question to ask, how do you volunteer? Because everybody is giving back to their community in some way. I'm super proud about that. Our mayor and council uh, are paid $1 a year. And my mayor and council, these are successful professional people. Mayor Cherry Fitch was recognized uh, as principal of the year by the state of Florida when she retired as our high school principal. My council are all very successful administrators and business owners. They are doing this for a dollar a year. I'm telling you, I have the best job. And if I had not had the career I had had up until now, I, I would not be able to appreciate it the way that I do. But it is so inspiring for staff. When your elected officials are volunteering of their time and giving of themselves to make a difference, I, I cannot express enough how inspiring it is for your staff to want to deliver for those leaders. And so I will tell you, right before I came in, ran into a city manager who said, what is it like working for the best city in the state of Florida? And I get the question all the time. Oh, really? I that's, do. That's, that's, that's really kind of nice. It is. Well, Sam Abel of the Cain and Abel fame. <laughs> Thank you so much for being Thank on. You, that was Steve. really good. I learned, I learned a lot. You know, how to, how to advance communications is a way to prevent a problem like that. You know, it's sure. right up my alley. It's fantastic. Uh, look forward to seeing you again. Uh, thanks for so much for being on. Till next time. Folks, this is Steve Van Cor, and this has been the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Thank you for being with us.